0: I'm Nicholas Bornolos of Capital Inc, and I would like to welcome you to this very uh, important and interesting panel. The title of our forum every year is the Capital Inc International Shipping Forum uh, China. So we always bring in the international aspect, both in terms of uh, the international business Chinese are doing, and also the business that international ship owners are doing with China. And this particular panel is going to focus exactly on uh, the range of business that uh, major uh, shipping uh, companies are uh, conducting with China uh, across the board, uh, shipyards, trading, um, financing, and so on. I would like to turn the floor over to Benson Toretti, Executive Vice President from the Liberian Registry. I would like to thank Benson for sponsoring the panel and also for moderating it. And I would let him introduce uh, uh, our panelists. And just before uh, we started the discussion, we were all uh, saying we have all been together in Shanghai in the past. We can't wait to go back in person next year to to host this event uh, uh, physically. So Benson, the floor is yours. And thank you to all of you for being with us.
1: Thank you. Thank you very much, Mikos. I really appreciate the introduction and for the opportunity to be here and good day to everybody watching. Thank you. Um, First off, I'd like to introduce the panelists, uh, starting with Mr. Jeff Prebor, CFO of International Seaways. We have Mr. Vikram Hiranandani, Managing Director of Scorpio Tankers and Anetti Incorporated. We have Mr. Stavros Giftakis, CFO of Synergy Maritime Holdings Corporation, and Mr. Christos Baglaris, Co-CFO of Starbulk Carriers. Uh, My name is Benson Peretti. I'm with the Liberian Ship Registry, and uh, it's a privilege to be able to moderate this panel today. I'm looking forward to hearing what everybody has to say, and I think it'll be very, very interesting. Um, You know, we all have a lot of experience in China. and As as Nico said, we wish we could be there right now. Um, Ourselves at the registry, we have five offices in China and have been doing a significant amount of business there. So for us, it's a very wonderful panel to be moderating and uh, look forward to hearing what everybody has to say. Uh, with that, we'll, we'll move into the first question. And, and what we'll do is, with this first question, which will be a, a two-pronged question, I'll also have the panelists give a little bit more background about themselves as well. So a quick introduction, and then into the first question. And the first question to start us off is, is China still a strong s- source of capital for many owners? And what in each uh, segment do you see as biggest area of opportunities with, uh, with yourself? So I'll start off with you, uh, Jeff. If you don't mind giving an introduction and then diving into that question to get us started,
2: sure. Uh, thank you, Benson. Uh, I'm Jeff Preboard, the CFO of International Seaways. Our company is uh, soon to celebrate its fifth anniversary uh, of being an independent public company. We were originally uh, part of a, a company called Overseas Shipholding Group, which is relevant to our topic, as I'll get to in a minute. But uh, we've we've been we're spun off to be independent five years ago uh, on December 1. So coming up on that, for that, that anniversary. Uh, China is uh, very important to us as we uh, renew and grow our tanker shipping fleet, which is everything from VLCCs down to MR tankers. We currently have 92 vessels on the water. Uh, just a few days ago, before this conference, we announced that we had entered into a new financing transaction with a major Chinese financial institution, Bocom, I'm sure everyone knows it, uh, for uh, the financing of three new buildings, uh, dual fuel LNG, fuel dual fuel LNG, VLCCs to be built, uh, they currently being constructed in Korea for delivery in 2023, the long-term charter with Shell. Uh, we're very pleased to have this financial partnership with, with Bocom, uh, it's about $245 million in total financing uh, relative to just under $300 million total cost of the uh, of the new buildings. So there you go, is a very recent uh, demonstration of how important uh, China is in this case, even though it's financing Korean uh, built ships, uh, a, a very key financing source for us. And, and equally we would, we have built many ships in the past through our predecessor company, OSG in China. And we would uh, certainly expect that we'll be building ships in China in the future. So both for financing and for new buildings uh, China is and, and will remain a very important uh, factor for, for international Seaways. Thank
1: you Jeff. Uh, very very timely. <laughs> uh, all right, uh, Vikram, how about how about for you and Absolutely.
3: Hello everyone and thank you Benson for moderating this panel and Nicholas for organizing this discussion. My name is Vikram Hiranandani, and I'm responsible for arranging the debt financing at Scorpio Tankers and NIT. Prior to joining Scorpio back in 2014, I used to be a ship finance banker at BNP. Um, Answering your question on China, we certainly see them as a very valuable and major source of capital uh, for our business. Back in April 2017, we did our first uh, sale leaseback transaction in China that was with uh, Bocom as well. It was for three MRs and uh, reflected a financing amount of $74 And fast forward now in 2021, like just at Scorpio Tankers itself, we have financed around 95 tankers in the Chinese lease financing market with the... exposure commitments of around 2.1 billion. So I think you know just that scale itself speaks how important they are on the financing side. And even as a group, you know in general, we've built a lot in China. We've transacted outside of the leasing companies. We've done loans with the export credit agencies in China. So they've really helped us in you know a diff- lot of different aspects of the business. And even going forward, if we talk about NET, the wind turbine business, there's some very good promising opportunities in China for that market. So uh, it is certainly quite encouraging um, overall, and it's it's a huge source of capital for our business. And even during the pandemic, what we liked uh, that we saw in China was that more new leasing firms are coming up. And just during these uh, difficult times, you know, we added two new relationships in China on the financing side. So I'm sure that's like music to ears of any ship owner that you know it's a very viable source of capital for the business. All
1: right. Thank you, Vikram, very, very interesting. Um, Stavros, how about over to you?
4: Sure. Uh, hello to everybody, and thanks uh, Benson for moderating and to Nicolas and Eleni for organizing this panel. Uh, so in terms of, of a brief introduction, I am uh, the Chief Financial Officer of Synergy Maritime Holdings. We are the only US-listed pure-play size company. So we own and operate a fleet of 17 high-quality capesize vessels. Uh, the company is headquartered in Athens and listed on the Nasdaq Stock Exchange. Uh, like Vikram, before just Synergy, I was also uh, a ship financing banker with DVB Bank. Uh, now, I mean, being a, a pure play, Cape Size outfit, uh, uh, China is, is, is a natural partner of, of Synergy, and, and that's on various sides of the business. Be it for the financing of, of, of our vessels, we have concluded, uh, we, we are financing three, three ships through sale and leasebacks with, uh, with Chinese Lesors. Uh, at the same time, I mean, we have developed a very wide network of local suppliers and port agents since all our vessels call Chinese ports all the time, basically. And last but not least, it's China is our preferred partner for, for all our vessel repairs and maintenance. All our scrubber systems have been installed there. We basically do all our scheduled dry dockings there. And, and, and also recently, I mean, we have uh, started doing installations of a package of, of energy efficiency devices as means to, to address the upcoming environmental uh, regulations. Now going specifically to your question, yes, China is and will continue to be a strong source of capital. The resources have access to relatively cheap funding and an appetite to expand their business. Um, at the same time, I would say that they have now a very good understanding of the shipping business and are willing to extend financing at, at very com- competitive and commercially reasonable terms. Uh, over the last years, of course, based on the health performance of our sector and that of shipping in general, we see good activity also on the financing front uh, and more and a more competitive landscape being formed with traditional lenders uh, returning, coming back to the market and trying to regain some market share. Uh, nonetheless, the Chinese resource are responding to this competitive landscape that are further improving their terms and their pricing, and so they will maintain their market share and, and, and will be even uh, able to increase it. Uh, yeah, that, that, that's all, all All there is to it on, on the financing front now. In terms of other opportunities coming from China, and again, focusing on, on, on the capes, uh, I mean, I would highlight some factors that are very key as to the demand for for the core commodities carried in our vessels, which is called an iron ore. Uh, I would highlight definitely the long-term shift towards renewable energy. This is an energy and, and, and still intensive process, and it is likely to generate stable demand for coal and iron ore over the next years. For example, I'm thinking of electric cars. Uh, infrastructure development, not, not the, the recent turmoil with Evergrande, is ongoing and, and, and unlikely to slow down. Uh, the residential property market is quite central to China's economy. Uh, also, the, the country's commitment to lower carbon emissions is generating uh, demand for high quality iron ore imports from Brazil uh, with, with, with a long haul uh, and increased ton-mile demand. Also, industrial manufacturing is generating high demand for aluminum. We've seen bauxite quickly grown to more than 5% of the size trade over the past year. We expect this pace to continue. Uh, And last but not least, uh, we should have in mind that China operates a a large fleet of technologically advanced coal plants, uh, which is likely to generate a solid demand for thermal coal. So concluding, given the slow pace of the dry bulk fleet expansion and and, and the very healthy demand for commodities generated by China, uh, I think that the overall environment is very supportive of improved rates for for our sector. Thank you, Stavros. It's very interesting what you
1: say about the renewables and the demand. Um, Thank you. Uh, Christos, and over to you.
5: Sure, thank you, Benjamin. Um, I'm Christos Begleris. Uh, I am co-CFO of Starbulk. Uh, Starbulk is the owner and manager of 128 vessels. We're listed on NASDAQ. We're actually the largest uh, US-listed dry bulk company uh, by market cap. Um, as well as size and trading liquidity. Um, and we have a long history of uh, dealing with China. Um, essentially, it goes back, my first transaction with China was uh, back in 2008 with uh, China Export-Import Bank. And um, since then, and under the auspices of the Bank Group, we have done more than 2 billion of financing, with uh, various Chinese institutions, starting from the Export-Import Bank of China to uh, the SinoSure to the leasing houses that um, started expanding in China from 2013 onwards. Um, It's interesting that on the leasing space, we have managed to expand a cooperation beyond the traditional provision of financing And with one of the major leasing houses in China, we actually went and bought together uh, vessels on an equity JV basis. China is extremely important to us and China remains important to us and will be important to us going forward in the future. Um, What has not been mentioned is that China essentially in 2020 provided um, around 15 billion of financing to the shipping industry in a a period when other uh, traditional uh, financing lenders were retracting. And that's extremely important because um, especially when freight rates go down, especially when the market is weak, you want stable uh, financing providers to be there as partners for your business. And um, it was mentioned also by Vic before, Uh, there were some Chinese that were there, most of the Chinese were there. And we also saw the entrance of some new players, which very smartly came at an opportune time when others uh, were retracting from the market. Now, uh, going forward, China and Chinese financing has a big role to play in the shipping industry Uh, What we have seen is that rates and um, essentially the cost of Chinese financing has come down this year, mainly in order to compete with uh, European lenders that have been entering the market in a bigger fashion, as Stavros has also mentioned. But most importantly, uh, we believe that uh, China has an important role to play in the future in the finance arena, as essentially in the West, we're seeing stringer and more stringent regulations about uh, financing and more focus on ESG. So potentially there is an opportunity for finance institutions in China to finance tonnage that will soon be non-financiable from traditional Western European lenders. Uh, China has also an extremely important role to play in uh, sort of the creation of so-called phase three vessels that uh, will essentially be able uh, to cope with uh, the stringent rules and essentially be able to cope with uh, zero carbon emissions. Um, We don't have such vessels right now. Uh, We hopefully will be having vessels uh, like this in the following few years. The biggest bottleneck is, of course, having in abundance uh, zero carbon emitting fuels and infrastructure in order for vessels to burn. But as we will be forced to essentially establish those fuels, um, it will be also increasingly important for the Chinese to help with innovation, constructing those vessels, and then also financing those vessels from the Chinese financing institutions. Mm-hmm. I'll just stop there uh, before sort of touching upon demand supply in China.
1: Uh, th- thank you, Christos. Actually, w- let's keep it with you because what, the way you finished it ties nicely into the the question. You touched on on some of the differences between the Chinese financing and other other areas of finance, uh, talking about you know financing the non financeable vessels. Could you maybe start us off on the next question about explaining some of the the differences or similarities that you see between say you know U.S. U.K. European financing versus uh, what you see in China, whether that's with sale and leaseback versus secured loan or you know any any of the differences you see or maybe some of the similarities.
5: Sure. So. We have done a lot of business with the Export-Import Bank of China, having also built um, a lot of vessels there. And the financing that is provided there is in the form of senior debt with uh, mortgage security directly on the asset. And that's essentially the, the exact same form as the traditional European lenders that essentially provide senior debt on our vessels. Um, then, what we have done is uh, we have used Sinosure together with Export Import Back on China. And Sinosure essentially comes as an insurance provider to guarantee for our credit. For this insurance, we as Starbucks are paying a premium to Sinosure. And essentially, the, the bank is able then to get Sinosure as a credit versus getting Starbucks as a credit and therefore is able to provide very competitive financing terms. So we have also done some facilities where Sinassure acted as an insurance provider to the transaction. Last but certainly not least, because um, it has grown to be the the largest uh, financing uh, source for ship owners is the sale and leaseback structure. Um, whereby the Chinese lessor is essentially the owner of the vessel. And us, as a shipping company, are the bearable charters of the vessel, with most of the times uh, purchase options and the purchase guarantee at the end of the bearable char- charter. This is recorded in our books as a financial lease. Uh, we have seen also in the last few years um, Chinese leasing houses uh, offering operating lease. Uh, product, whereby essentially there is no uh, purchase obligation at the end of the contract. Uh, There are only purchase options throughout the period of the contract. Um, But what we like about uh, China is that it's always innovative. It's always there to try new structures. Uh, So as I said before, we have also tried in the past um, acquiring uh, vessels uh, on a JV basis with a traditional Chinese uh, finance leasing provider. Thank you.
1: Very interesting. Uh, Jeff, how about for you an international seaways?
2: Well, I would um, echo what Christos has to say that we have found uh, yeah. that deals can be structured on the financing side. Uh, uh, and let me answer the question that way. Uh, either similar to European, uh, lending, where it's a, a, a ship mortgage. And we had a similar uh, transaction uh, at that, uh, with Sina and China XM and Bank of China, who had provided financing to uh, a company that building ships uh, six VLCCs in China that we acquired uh, in 2018. And uh, we're, we're very uh, pleased to have been able to assumed that financing on our, our balance sheet. Uh, at the time, was very very attractive uh, uh, financing for the original new buildings and for us to take over. And we recently paid that that off because it was it was, had sort of run its course and it was time. But it was a, the a very satisfactory uh, arrangement with and relationship building uh, exercise with Sinashore and the two other Chinese banks. So we would look at both that straight mortgage financing. Uh, as an alternative for, for new buildings in the future, or as I said, we've just entered into uh, a, a, a sale-leaseback transaction, which you know is essentially still a loan. It's just structured uh, uh, where the, the, the collateral resides in an ownership fashion with the, the lender, so to speak. But uh, from our perspective, it's really the same. it's a, The assets remain on the balance sheet. The debt is uh, capitalized on the balance sheet. So uh, it's, no, it's no different um, really from our perspective than a traditional financing. So we're, we're open to, to either structure and uh, uh, find them both to be, I, I agree with Christos, uh, uh, the business people and the institutions in China are very innovative and very practical and easy to work with. And that's probably one of the best parts of uh, doing business in China. Thank you, Jeff. Uh,
1: Vikram, anything to add on the same, same question?
3: Uh, just, I uh, know uh, Christos and Jeff sa- shared some good points on the similarities and differences. You know, at Scorpio for us, um, timeline is of very high importance and what we have been seeing between doing say like a Chinese east back transaction or one of the loans from the Western banks is that the gap between uh, executing the transactions is uh, reducing It's actually getting much quicker to do a Chinese sale leaseback transaction now and a little bit longer to do a bank loan, that is our personal experiences, where in some cases with certain institutions, it might actually be quicker to do a Chinese sale leaseback and in some instances to do a bilateral, but at least overall that gap has been reducing. So, you know, we've done quite a few transactions, whether it's banks or with uh, lessos in China, where we're talking about you know, the start to finish being done within a period of three to four months. Uh, if we talk a little bit about leverage and pricing, uh, if we focus first on the sale lease packs in China, they tend to offer higher leverage at a slightly higher price. But at the end of the day, when you look at the additional liquidity that's coming out from the transaction, it's at a very compelling cost, so we really like the source of capital a lot. And as Christos mentioned, you know, like when you're dealing with the Export Credit Agency, we've transacted with China Exim Bank. We've transacted with Sinusho. The financing is very, very competitive, in line with uh, you know generally banks, and September can even be a little bit more competitive. Uh, we did a very good transaction with Sinusho back in uh, 2019. Um, to help us with the scrubber program. And we were very pleased with the terms we obtained on that particular transaction with uh, BNP Paribas and SCB as part of it. Um, going to, uh, you know, like purchase options, financial governance, we actually see China getting a lot more flexible now than where they were like three, four years ago so the covenants are getting a little bit less stringent than what we typically agree with the banks the purchase options like few years ago you know the standard was probably like fourth anniversary now we're getting a lot of deals done at the second anniversary so we're seeing some really positive differences and developments in that market and we are big users of uh, china in terms of sourcing capital
1: all right. thank you Vikram. Uh, Stavros, anything to add from your side on the same question?
4: Sure, I mean, uh, Synergy has not been uh, very active on the new building, no, not, not active at all. I mean, on the new building front, uh, we are not believers of new building. So we have not dealt with export import agencies. I mean, we have done uh, sale and leasebacks, financing through sale and leasebacks, bo- both uh, uh, financial leases and operating lease, which we concluded uh, recently. Uh, with the difference being mainly that the lessor basically assumes the the residual risk. Uh, the first transaction we did back uh, in uh, two thousand in the summer of two thousand eighteen uh, we signed that term sheet for that loan in in October two thousand and seventeen. So it took us basically nine months, I mean, from the signing of the term seat to 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 basically to draw the funds. Uh, but, but since then, the resources have gone a very long way. And in, in the recent transaction that we did uh, in, in the second quarter of this year, actually with the China China Merchant Bank Leasing, uh, I have to admit that the experience was was nothing short of of the one uh, of, of of a European lender. And actually, I agree with Vikram that these days they are becoming even quicker and swifter. I mean, uh, to in 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 the execution. Uh, than Europeans. So the, the process was concluded very very sw- swiftly. Uh, the CMB showed a very good understanding of, of, of uh, specific sensitivities uh, of the transaction. And then after we concluded commercial negotiations, the legal documentation was also con- concluded in a very swift manner. So o- overall, the experience has shown that the resources have had a very steep learning curve and the know-how that they have developed is, is extremely good these days. Having said that, I don't think that the Chinese leasing is is for everyone. The results require a corporate structure and transparency, and this is why you see more public companies or some of the larger and more corporate type, type of private groups uh, utilizing this this product. Uh, in terms of differences, I, I agree with uh, with what has been said before by Christo and and Vikram and and Jeffrey. I mean. It's the ownership versus the mortgage, which again, it's it's not really a difference. I mean, uh, the structure overall and the way that uh, this is, the, the transactions are reflected in our books, it are, are exactly the same. Even now that we did a, an, an operating lease, uh, and and if you get down to to to, to nasty restructuring, which will result in, to repossession, I mean, be it through termination of the verbal or an enforcement of the mortgage, so this is irrelevant. The, the damage has been done by then. Uh, pricing is usually a bit higher than what commercial banks can offer, but uh, it, it is improving. And, and this year, I mean, it's, uh, we, we saw steep reductions in the, in the rates that were offered by by the by uh, Loan to value is is usually higher. I mean, in, in the leasing structures and the covenants. I mean, we found them to be very, very commercial. I mean, they were not uh, stringent in negotiating covenants. So overall. I don't see much difference these days, and it's it's actually a function of uh, execution speed, pricing, and leverage that the individual borrower wants to obtain. I mean, when selecting which product is the most suitable to finance his his vessels.
1: Thank you, Steve Russell. I I think you all kind of answered my next question. So I guess what I was going to ask was to see if the if you still thought that the outlook on China being a strong source of capital was positive, but from what I pick up from listening to everybody, it does seem, you know, especially given like, like with Jeff and international seaways with the partnership with BOCOM just recently. So I, I think I might just skip that next question unless anybody sees it, perhaps as not continuing to be a strong source of capital, which I, I didn't really pick up on. So, okay, um, good. I guess, you know, Stavros, to keep it with you, I'd like to get to talk into more about you know, new building orders, secondhand moves, sale and leaseback, and you touched on it now. For yourselves going, going forward, you, you say you're not so much focused on, on the new building, but still looking at, at the secondhand side or the sale and leaseback side. Do you see these continuing to be the sources
4: uh, of fleet growth for
1: you and your company?
4: Yes, yes. No, I mean, talking specifically about CAPES, there's not much new building activity. Order book is at at, at at a very low point. I mean, this has to do with the fact that upcoming environmental regulations are putting a lid on 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 uh, on ordering. Uh, There's uncertainties surrounding the engine technology of tomorrow, the fuels of tomorrow. So owners are showing some discipline. And also, I mean, the memories of the last ordering spree of 2013-14. Uh, are still fresh and therefore uh, all owners are a bit more uh, disciplined uh, which we like to see. I mean contracting in 2020 has been the lowest since 2012. This year levels are a bit higher but still lower than 2019 and 2018. Uh, In the last 20 years average contracting has been about 20 million tons per year if I'm not mistaken. 2021 contracting is about 14 million tons which is I would say on, on, on the low side. Uh, the order book for, for, the, for the larger bulkers is about 70% of the fleet. Uh, while vessels built before 2008, it's about 14%. So 7% versus 40% ordering is, is mainly tied to, to renewal rather than the speculation and expansion. Uh, and also in terms of return on investment, secondhand vessel acquisitions make, uh, m- make more sense than, than new buildings right now. Uh, nonetheless, when evaluating opportunities in the second-hand market, we are very careful with the potential implications of, of the upcoming environmental regulations uh, that will affect the speed and the competitiveness of any acquisition. So uh, it's important to incorporate these factors in, in, uh, in our investment decisions. Uh, so, I mean, we support basically further growth through secondhand acquisitions. The rates, the FFA curve is heavily backward-dated so a new building project, you cannot find an adequately attractive time, long-term time charter to justify. Whereas talking secondhand, I mean, returns are much higher and immediately and immediate. So we would go for that.
1: All right, thank
4: you, uh,
1: Vikram. How does that contrast, for say, on the tanker side,
3: if at all? So. Um... On the tanker side, it's been a while because we are, you know, on Scorpio Tankers, we have 131 ships. And the most recent acquisition we've done out there was back in 2019, when we worked with uh, Traffigure on their product tankers. Uh, there were 15 MRs and four LR2s, where the four LR2s were from China. But, um, so we we got those ships in 2019. And then since then, you know, most of our work in China has been like the scrubber installation program, which has been a very big program for us. So that work is all being done in China. And that just goes back to one of the points we made back in 2019 about, you know, getting a financing in place through Sinesho to help us out with that program. So we've been doing a lot of work um, that way in China with different yards. And um, right now we are, very, you know, we are content with our fleet size. Uh, we continue to transact a lot with China on the financing side, and uh, that's where we stand right now. But it's it's just a big market, whether we look at it from shipbuilding or in terms of uh, product demand or even uh, in terms of financing. So it's it's very very significant and important to us. Thank
1: you, Vikram. Uh, Christos, how about for your, your, your portion of the, the bulk space, you know, Stavros touched on the capes, but what about the others, other, other sizes within that sector?
5: Well, uh, just to mention something that applies actually to all sectors, um, in that we have been unfortunate not to be owning container vessels, but at the same time, We have been fortunate because container operators and owners have been filling yards in China and in Korea with orders, which essentially makes it uh, almost impossible for us, poor dry bulk and uh, tanker owners and operators to take delivery of new vessels if we order them now before the second half of 2023 or 2024. Um, and that's important because it essentially um, guarantees a period of very low deliveries um, across the dry bulk fleet, because Starbuck operates across all three segments. Uh, The net, uh, the order book right now is to the tune of uh, 7%, um, and it has been as low as 5.8% at the beginning of 2021. So we saw... Um, a moderate uh, level of ordering, uh, but still at uh, very low uh, historical levels. Um, Essentially, what we have is a net fleet growth for the next years capped for 2022 and 2023 at approximately 2% per year, which means that should ton miles in our industry grow by more than 2% per year, then we're gonna have even tighter uh, freight markets um, than what we see today. Therefore, overall, we remain quite optimistic about um, the long-term outlook. We have seen uh, some tightness and volatility uh, towards uh, sort of more negative freight markets lately. Um, And that has been a result mainly of China essentially stopping to import uh, all major commodities in the dry bulk industry, uh, whether steel, uh, coal, and uh, well, it's not the grain season, so they will not import right now grain season. But as we move past February 2022, when there are the Winter Olympics in Beijing, and, and therefore when clear skies will be as important as ever for China, um, we think that China is going to start again, importing at more normalized levels, and we therefore expect dry bulk markets to also normalize at much higher uh, freight rates than what we see today. Thank you. That was a very
1: good point you made about the Olympics too. I, I remember that that seems to be the, every time there's a big event, we get the clear skies so that it does impact shipping greatly. Um, Jeff, how about from your side? Anything further to add to this this point on uh, fleet expansion? Well, uh, first, it's it maybe not on fleet expansion,
2: but I just want to underscore Christos's last point that that you also agreed with about the effect of the China's current policies as it goes into the Olympics. You know, on the oil side, we're all very pleased to say that overall demand is back to approximately or certainly will be by the end of this quarter, the 2019 level, annualized level of 100 million barrels a day. But uh, with seasonality, I normally would have expected uh, that if 100 million barrels was the annual uh, average for uh, 2019, the Q4 would have been probably a little higher. And we would be higher still in this recovery, except for the you know zero uh, tolerance COVID uh, lockdown program in China and preparation for the Olympics, which uh, have definitely reduced uh, consumption of all commodities and certainly restrict mobility. You know, there's not as much flying domestically in China as there normally would be because uh, of this policy. So we think that's the uh, a very interesting uh, factor is that uh, once we get past, you know, things are already good for us in terms of demand returning uh, inventories, right sizing, which is the only thing in between the tanker market and good rates is uh, demand is back inventories are almost back um and so when you add in extra demand from the winter and then extra demand from china increasing mobility uh after the olympics it's, it's it's very exciting for the end of q1 and the rest of 2022. quickly on the new building side uh i think it's very exciting that there's been a change i don't know if it's forever but uh what i uh, mean by what i'm excited about is that Typically, at least in oil tankers, it may be true in dry bulk too, uh, that owners have built vessels completely on spec, uh, place an order for a VLCC and hope for a charter or just put it on spot and, and hope for good results that make that a, a sensible financial investment. I think this is uh, not the, the, the smartest strategy for companies that are much, much smaller than their, their customers. And I've always thought that uh, collaboration was was the way forward. And I'm pleased that whether it's our deal with Shell or other deals that are being done now, we're seeing more collaboration with with major customers, uh, whether they're oil majors or national oil companies, et cetera. And it's not because all of a sudden everyone got smart. I I think it's because the technology is changing and it doesn't make sense to order vessels on spec with old propulsion technology. And while it does make sense to order dual fuel, they're 15% more expensive. So it's it's a risky, to To build them on spec, so the way forward is is working with customers uh, in, in a collaborative way to provide a baseline charter, so that the uh, the, the new building you know, comes with employment built in, and so I think we're going to see more of that in the future.
1: Yeah, thanks, Jeff. That that's a great point, and it kind of it ties into to the next question on um, the regulatory changes, the push towards decarbonization. Um, I guess if I could ask you. How, in dealing with some you talked about getting the partners and and you know with the oil majors for example like you did with shell is is the push towards decarbonization becoming a large factor in these discussions and pushes towards the as, as you go towards the fleet expansion and growth that being a basis for the kind of vessel you're going to build the technology behind it and can china be there to build those types of vessels that you think will be needed going forward in the future
2: well, look. Everybody on this panel and, and everyone responsible in shipping is working on uh, plans to get their fleet more efficient. Uh, you know, in, in terms of all greenhouse em- emissions, CO two, you know, CO2, you know it gets the most headlines, but everything is on the table, we're all working on that, I'm sure. Um, and and uh, so, what we're doing is evaluating the vessels that we have now for, you know what how they'll grade out in 2023, on a carbon intensity index basis, uh, and which of those vessels will require retrofitting between now and 2023, which might be in China. Uh, and and the, the, the putting in devices newest ducks or, or uh, ultra slick paint or other other uh, capex that we can spend on the some of the older vessels to improve their grade and make them more efficient and also therefore more, more attractive to our customers. And maybe some of those vessels that that investment is not worthwhile because it, it won't be sufficient to get them where they would need to be. And so we'll have a different strategy with those vessels. And then for the new buildings, which we already discussed, you know, we're looking, we think that, uh, uh, our customers are, are driving towards gas as an interim solution. It's not the ultimate solution, but you know, ammonia, uh, uh, or methanol, uh, it's fine if you're a Mariscan, you know where you're gonna source it, but for the rest of us, you know, all these other alternative fuels, it's a little too soon to be allocating our capital today. We're allocating our human capital to spend time to understand where the future is going to be. Uh, but uh, for us, the, 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 the near term is, is, is going to be gas. And we're very comfortable uh, that China will be there with us in, in terms of the, they're already building dual fuel, LNG, uh, the capabilities there. Uh, so we're, we're, we're quite comfortable that China will be a good partner for us uh, you know, as we go with this new
1: decarbonization phase. All right. Thanks, Jeff. Appreciate it. Um, Vikram, how about you? Uh, the upcoming regulatory changes and the push towards decarbonization as well.
3: Uh, so as you know, you know at NAP, we concluded the sale of our entire dry bulk fleet. Uh, that happened by the summer. And now we are fully engaged in marine-based renewable energy business, specifically um, installing wind turbines. So this by itself is like a significant green shift, and uh, we are committing to meeting global climate goals. Uh, We placed an order at NITI back in uh, May, a new shipbuilding order for a wind turbine installation vessel. And talking about investing in technologies, you know, that vessel would be ammonia ready. Uh, so that was a spec uh, as well for the ship. Um, at Scorpio Tankers, you know, our fleet is young, the average age is 5.8 years, and they are of eco-design specs. So basically, you know, the investment we've made over the years in such modern vessels, they position us quite well to meet the current. And even the predicted future emission uh, regulations. And then, as you know, Jeff said, you know, it's not only about uh, greenhouse gas uh, obligations that you know everybody is working towards meeting their obligations, but they are even working on satisfying like other emission requirements, whether that is sulfur dioxide, or nitrous acid, or particulate matter so we are spending a lot of time and you know completely committed on um, you know outperforming these requirements and then I mean, back in august uh, you know at scorpio tankers we acquired a minority uh, interest in a portfolio of nine product tankers and these are you know five of them are uh, mr uh, uh, methanol tankers so they basically carry methanol they even they carry traditional petroleum products but they're powered by methanol or traditional marine oils, but it's a new technology that we've invested in on the tanker side as well.
1: Okay, thank you. Um, Stavros, for yourself, and and especially in the CAPES, you say there's low low order book for the CAPES. What do you see as some strategies ahead to to meet the demands and the new changing regulations?
4: Sure, I'd no, seen I mean, we have been maybe among the first and and we continue to be a very strong advocate of the improvement of the energy efficiency of the existing fleet and mostly in cooperation with our charters, the end users of the vessels, as as means to serve them in an environmentally efficient manner. Now, in this regard, uh, we have cooperated with major charters uh, such as Cargill, Uniper, and and we're now discussing similar projects with other uh, even Japanese charters. Uh, on a number of vessel upgrade programs, installing energy saving devices, such as uh, new ducts, propeller, post cap fins, and what have you, which, which have a tangible benefit on the emission front. And we have also since many years installed advanced AI, AI monitoring systems on, on all our ships, which allow us to monitor their performance on a real-time basis and, and intervene, leveraging telemetry for voyage planning, route optimization, proactive treatment of, of the hull, Um, These days, we're also testing biofuel blends again in cooperation with with major charterers, and and we do believe that this will be one of the most efficient ways to to transit into a greener future for shipping. Now, new buildings, as, as, as discussed before, we are not considering. We think that the far safer bet for the industry is to make the existing vessels more efficient, to invest in greener fuels, compatible with the existing engine technology, and then extend the economic life of the existing fleet as much as possible. This will allow us to transit basically smoother, smoothly in, in, into greener engine technologies once these are available. Uh, so, for the time being, I mean, I think that, as uh, Vikram said before, I mean, in investing on research, investing on on, I mean, investing on 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 our, our human capital. I mean, in understanding what the implications would be and what would be the best way to approach the upcoming uh, uh, regulation is key instead of uh, overly spending, I mean, on, on technologies which have not been tested and may prove obsolete, I mean, in three or, or five years from now. It's a great point you make about human capital. I think that that's also
1: gonna be one of the challenges. It doesn't get talked a lot about right now, but training the crew on these new systems and these new technologies is going to be just as important as having them on board and whether they meet the, the goals, because if you can't operate the ship safely, what's what's the point, but you probably host a uh, whole panel on that. Um, so uh, Christos any anything to add to the same subject um, as, as we I think we're winding down on time here, but uh,
5: if, if you want to touch on this one and then take us home. So yeah, very briefly ESG is um, at the very top of our agenda. Uh, right now, we recently published our third Starbucks ESG report. Uh, the first one was three years ago. And um, this year, basically, all our disclosures in terms of emissions, as well as data, uh, were actually assured by EY, by one of the big four. Um, we are also signatories in the call to action for shipping carbonization. Um, We we are also sponsors of the Green Corridors project that uh, played also a big role in the uh, Cap 26 Uh, We have recently uh, participated in the drafting of Poseidon principles uh, for marine insurance framework, uh, which uh, essentially will uh, regulate uh, marine insurance in the years to come. And we are supporters in various projects um, across the ESG sort of uh, uh, spectrum. For example, we are working uh, together with uh, MIN on the development of uh, an ammonia engine. Um, We are not supporters of uh, dual fuel uh, vessels, as Jeff mentioned. We believe that, essentially, the well-to-wake emissions of LNG is very similar to the well-to-wake emissions of traditional fuels. Um, And we are monitoring very closely the space in order for us to essentially uh, be ready to invest in uh, third-generation vessels that will emit zero carbons. Thank you, Christos. Very
1: good. I, this brings us to the end of our, our panel. Um, it's, been, it's been 50 minutes now. Uh, I wanna thank everybody, Jeff, Vikram, Stavros, Christos. It's been very interesting for me, I'm sure for the audience as well. Uh, enjoyed the discussion very much and all your inputs. So um, give you all the opportunity to say, say your goodbyes and thank yous and on behalf of me, thank you again for the, for the wonderful
3: discussion. Thank Thank you everyone, and likewise to what Mr. Nicholas said earlier, you know, it would be great, hopefully next time we could have this in person, but it was a very good session, so thank
0: you. Thank you to everybody, indeed. We look forward to being together in Shanghai next year, and thank you to all of you. Thank you very much. Thank
2: Thank
4: Thank you.